0: Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. I would say to you, you might not be aware, but Eric Hammond is one of our Southern Baptist-endorsed chaplains as well. I spoke to Eric just a couple of days. He was one of <clears> them. <throat> Uh, my friends and students, and we've worked together in chaplaincy now for some years, uh, he would want you to know that, that Eric also said a lot about Jesus in that video, but you know what the media would do with that. They were a little careful for that. But you pray for Eric as he continues to serve and nurture and ministry in that setting where he finds himself today. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2. Chapter two, and as you're turning there, uh, allow me to extend uh, a few uh, thank yous. Uh, First to Dr. Shaddix for his friendship and uh, kind regards there with his introduction. I also would like to thank uh, Dr. Aiken for the privilege and opportunity to be here today. I would like to publicly thank those who support the QAFTRA program and how it's impacted my life over many years uh, through providing education, training, and opportunities to serve platforms uh, not near as pretty as this where God has been able to send me in uh, to some devastating places uh, to do what he's called me to do and then I'd like to thank Southern Baptists as a whole for the opportunity to be a missionary and to serve in various categories across my life trajectory and then I want to thank you this morning for being here I had a uh, professor in seminary, Dr. Jim Nielsen, who said this to me one day. He said to me, he said, preachers will walk a thousand miles to preach a sermon, but they won't walk across the street to hear one. And I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, help me never to live up to that statement. Now I've drove 750 miles yesterday to be here, so I am fulfilling the first part of that to have the privilege and opportunity to speak to you today, and I pray that that as you've come across the street or from classrooms or from wherever you've been this morning, that God will speak to you through His Word and touch your life. With that said, uh, let's go to our text for today, and for context, I'm going to begin by reading the last verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm reading today from the Christian Standard representation of God's word but you please follow along there in the copy that you have in verse 25 we find words similar to this for you were like sheep going astray but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls this verse is a culmination of two therefores that we find in the early part of 1 Peter. The first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and the second one is actually in the first verse of chapter 2. I'm going to focus in on chapter 2 and the, the ideas that follow along after that second therefore as we think about these culminating ideas about who we are and how we're to act before God. But as I read this verse, a, a perplexing question comes to me How did we get here from there? Use that to jog your thinking this morning as you begin to think with me about what God's Word teaches. How did we get here from there? What is the process and the steps involved from going from those who were going astray? ignoring God to those who now have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls well as we dive in here I actually want to begin reading in verse 1 I'm going to read the whole chapter to you uh, as we begin to explore these ideas today about what it means to be God called and to respond when God calls now sometimes when i say that to folks I, I see this rolling of eyes or or heads drop when they think he's going to read the whole chapter But well, i want to challenge your listening this morning because i'll say to you what happens in the next two or three minutes as you listen to god's word as the only thing i know of in this world that does not return void You listen, maybe imagine yourself as a first century believer and you've gotten word that Peter has sent a letter to the churches and we have the opportunity to gather and hear that instruction. Listen that way and then I'm going to offer you two propositions based on this passage. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word, so that you may grow up into your salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built up to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion, chosen and honored cornerstone and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame so honor will come to you who believe but for the unbelieving the stone that the builders rejected this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over they stumble because they disobey the word they were destined for this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises or the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now. You are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He goes on to say in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, They will observe your good works, and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Submit to every human authority or institution, some translations say, because of the Lord. Whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors as those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil or to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but as God's slaves or as God's bondservants. Honor everyone. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the king household slaves submit to your masters with all reverence not only to the good and gentle ones but also to the cruel for it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God someone endures grief for suffering unjustly For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten you endure it but you when you do what is good and suffer If you endure it, that brings favor with God. For you are called to this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, then you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, He did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls." May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. Two propositions. The first, you are God's called ones. The second, with that reality in place, you then are expected to act like God called. You are God's called ones. You need to act like God called. Now I ask that you listen carefully as I unpack these two prepositions to make sure that I get it right. You are God's called ones. That first preposition accents for us the ontological dimension of of who we are in our human existence. Ontology is the study of being and reflects the relational aspects of how we relate to God and to others and even understand ourselves. I hope those are words that you're learning here in seminary. Words like ontology and deontology and uh, the theological dimensions that are part of that. Now you're saying, well. Will I ever use those again? You will use those principles every day, and I hope you'll see that as I unpack this text for you. Now, you may refer to them, and those are $10 seminary words that you might boil down to words like relationship, rules and responsibilities, results or outcomes. This first proposition based on the reality here we see accented in verse 9 and other places is you are the called ones. And if you're in this room today, I suspect you've been called out even from among the called ones to serve, to equip, and to lead those who are called into Christ's service. Those who do it day to day in their everyday life and then you are assigned a special mission, a set apart aspect. A particular and peculiar identity belongs to this ontological dimension. A particular and peculiar identity Expression of purpose belongs to this aspect of being. A particular and peculiar aspect of values that you embrace should be evident in your life as those who identify with being called of God. In this passage, Peter actually rehearses for us seven identity metaphors in the verses that I've read to you today. In verses 2 and 5, we hear things like newborn infants growing into your salvation. We hear words like living stones. Can you imagine that? Living stones. Stones that have a heart, the breath of God, that walk and talk. That's what you are today. I've been all over the world. I've been in lots of bad places with lots of rocks piled on rocks. Israel now, once called the promised land, lots of rocks. Afghanistan, lots of rocks. Iraq, lots of rocks. I've never seen any of them breathe. But we serve a God that takes a hard heart, a heart of stone, and transforms it into a living being. And that's what He expects us to do and to act like in our lives. He says, You are a spiritual house. Offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That little prepositional phrase is very key there. There are lots of people over the history of humanity that have offered up sacrifices to divine entities. But this passage says here that it is through Jesus Christ and through him alone that such sacrifices are acceptable to our Holy In verse 11, he goes on to identify us as strangers and exiles, drawing forth that identity out of the Old Testament for the people of Israel when they found themselves in places like Babylon or in Egypt or other places where suffering surrounded them and they were forced to bring their identity forward and represent who they were as a people before God. Verse 16, we are free people but free people who act like bondservants to God. If you want to do a great study in Scripture, you explore that phrase, bondservant of God. I think Peter borrows this from Paul. It's all over Paul's writings. Many of his introductory letters have that phrase in it, and he calls that to be a part of the way that we identify with God so that we can fulfill our purposes. Let me give you a hint there, though. In that aspect of identifying as a bondservant of God there's no entitlement there is no sense of selfishness that applies in that relationship with God he speaks you listen you do that's the way it works within this framework of identity Peter also outlines for us the expressions of our purpose Look down again at verse 9, it says, so that you may proclaim God's excellencies or his praises, the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Down in verse 21, he says, You are to be the ones who follow in Christ's footsteps and become example like he has been an example to the world. In verse 24, it says that we are to die to our sins. And live for righteousness. In verse 21, accents for us you were called to this. Not just the suffering uh, and the enduring that's mentioned in the verse prior, but to that culmination of things that echo down through each of those verses. In addition to this identity and this purpose, then we must embrace a set of values. Again, We find them clearly marked through the verses that we read. In verses 2 and 8, God's word is lifted up as a value among us who are the God-called ones. Honor is mentioned in verses 12, 7, 17. Twice in verse 17, he says, honor all people. And then he says, honor the king, the one in the place of authority. He accents good works four times in this chapter. The glory of God is accented in verse 12. Submission is accented in verse 13 and 18. Freedom in verse 16. Love, reverence, or fear of God in verses 17. And then the favor of God through suffering in verses 19 and 20. These are the attributes. These are the things. These are the values that God has called us to hold dear as his called ones. Dr. Danny Forshey, a dear friend of mine, a former member of the faculty here at Southeastern many years ago, has pointed out in one of his recent daily devotionals that this ontological dimension, this summation of our identity, our purpose, and its expressions, and this set of values emerges and is described by Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 with the phrase God's workmanship. Danny pulled out of that understanding of workmanship uh, from the understanding of the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament. He says that we are God's poetic creation. Man, I like that. As he's called ones, you are God's poetic creation in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. For us to do. He prepared them ahead of time for us to do. And it should be evident, as his God called ones, that that's who we are and that's what we're about. Now, before I transition from this first proposition, accent or focused on the being aspect to the second proposition which focuses more on the doing aspect allow me to highlight something a realization that maybe has not become apparent to you thus far along your ministry path there will be seasonal callings along your path that will emerge that correlate to your primary call as a bond servant of Christ let me say that again there will be seasonal callings that will emerge along your ministry path that will correlate to your primary calling as a bond servant. Let me be a little straight first out of Paul's life. Paul was a traveler. You remember three missionary journeys. He went from place to place to place, planting churches, pastoring, leading people to understand who Jesus was. Sometimes that got him in trouble. He wound up in prison, chained to Roman soldiers. Members of the Praetorian Guard at one point were responsible for guarding Paul and taking care of him. Not traveling anymore, can't plant churches. So what does he do? He starts telling those Roman soldiers about Jesus. And amazingly enough, he says to us in Philippians that through that endeavor and through that effort, the gospel abounded more. It was multiplied more as those Roman soldiers would come to Christ and then they would go out and spread the word through the ranks and it went from addition to multiplication in a way that Paul never perceived that it would and that most of us would not sign up for. Hey, God, let me go suffer by being in jail. Chain me up to somebody 24 hours. He had to ask to do anything. But God used it for his purposes and for his glory. And lo and behold, he had the idea while he was there. He said, can somebody get me some pen and paper? I'm locked down in here. I can't do much. I need to pass the time. Let me write some letters. And amazingly enough, if you think about it, I've traveled the world a good bit. And I've made some ventures out. And I don't know if any of those churches that Paul planted in their original state actually still exist today. Now, there are replications and there are remnants of that that have come to us across the ages and stages of history, but it's actually his writings that have lasted the test of time as God inspired him and breathed into him while he was in prison. You need to embrace that reality today, that God will take you through seasonal callings, transitions in order to fulfill his purposes across the trajectory of your ministry. You kind of heard Dr. Shaddix already rattle off uh, some of my calling experiences. I won't rehearse them all, but I remember distinctly like you when God called me in a general way to ministry. I remember when he called me to pursue educational endeavors. I remember when he called me to join the United States Marine Corps Reserves. And I have people question me about that sometimes. So what? Yeah, January the 8th. 1982 I woke up and in my quiet time God said to me distinctly and clearly I am calling you to go join the Marine Corps today I met the recruiter at the office door before he had even unlocked it I'll tell you that story over there this afternoon if you want to hear the rest of it it's been amazing to see what God has done through that little bit of obedience you heard the other rattles there pastor seminary professor called to Iraq called to Katrina called to become a denominational leader in disaster relief call back to Afghanistan, call to Africa, to a place called Djibouti. I couldn't even spell Djibouti when they told me I was going there. I had to go look it up. But God intended me for to be there and I spent over a year of my life there and have been back multiple times. When God calls, you answer and do what he tells you to do. Listen to God and that may require some sacrifices. Last year after I retired, I got curious, and I went back and added it up. But, Jim, I've had 50 addresses over the course of my life seeking to do what I'm talking to you about today. 50 addresses. That's not the W.A. Criswell or the Rick Warren experience. I'll just tell you. Now, God has used those men, and I thank God that we need more consistency in our churches with longevity and pastoring. But I'll tell you, you need to listen to the Lord when he calls. And respond to that this phone it rings frequently thanks to technology today I can usually tell who's calling here's what I'm talking about the best way I can illustrate it when this phone starts buzzing and my wife her name pops up on this I'm getting to that call as quick as I can I'm gonna answer it and I often will pause a conversation and say this is my wife especially if she calls twice that's an indicator she needs to talk to me okay and, and, and if I have, I can't answer right then, then in the next few minutes, I'm going back to it and I'm returning that call ASAP. I'll tell you the other time when it rings when I answer is when I don't see the number and I don't recognize the name. And I'll unpack that maybe a little bit more in a minute because I don't know what's on the other end of it and I don't want, know what the need is and God may be sending an opportunity into my life. Now, I know you ignore those calls, but I'm telling you sometimes God may want to talk to you I want you to talk to that person and use your identity, fulfill your purpose and your values by speaking into that person's life because there's a need there and they're reaching out to you with that need. Let's move to the second proposition. time is for this morning and my inadequacies uh, will fill me soon if I don't move on. You are God's called ones. And you need to act like God called. Just as I hinted to you there when my wife calls, I respond, you need to realize that God is moving in into your life through this deontological dimension here. This is the doing aspect. The rules and responsibilities, that's why saying deontological is so hard for me with this old uh, southern accent that I have shifted it to the understanding what are the rules and responsibilities we have as God's called ones. There are certain behaviors and actions that correspond with this calling. You are called for this. What does that mean in regard to how you act and make decisions? Peter gives us some strong verse. There's a collection of 13 of them here. Let me just rehearse them before you and remind you. You've already heard them. And I pray that God's spirit is beginning to saturate your soul with these realizations. As you need and act, as you do what God expects you to do as his called ones, it says in verse 1, you are to rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and all slander. Lord, have mercy. We need some help there. If you don't believe me, just go check your social media. Verse 11 says, we are to abstain from sinful desires. Verse 12, conduct yourselves honorably. Verse 13, submit to every human authority. And the Bible doesn't say unless you don't like it. It doesn't say unless you don't agree. It says submit because this is God's will and it is for the sake of the kingdom. Submit as free people and don't misuse your divine privilege. Verse 17, honor everyone. Love, fear, honor the king. I love to go back to Daniel chapter 3 right here and remind people. Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, while they were in that situation, Daniel, Shadrach, and Abednego, called to do something ungodly and that would offend God to recognize an idol or to worship a king instead of God. They said, we're not going to do that. A king, we respect you, and they represented the utmost respect to this earthly authority. And God walked them out of that situation. You know that story. And then it says, "We must submit ourselves, suffer, and endure, and follow in His footsteps." I must question about the kind of activities. And the doings that are being a part of who we are. And then he also offers us the corresponding end state if we'll do it. The telos. As we understand it from the Greek language. In verse 3 he says we'll taste the Lord as good. We'll honor and be honored versus stumbling. In verse 7. Verse 11 says you'll be able to avoid the desires that wage war against the soul. Verse 12 says. It says, others will observe your good works and glorify God. Verse 15, you will silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Lord, we need a lot of that going around right now. I hope you'll join in that endeavor with me. is to exemplify those kinds of activities rather than getting caught up in the culture and the world around you. Verse 19 and 20 says that, It will bring favor with God, much like Noah experienced his favor in the days before the flood. And verse 24, kind of the the culminating outcome, you will be healed by Christ's wounds, both spiritually and eternally healed by Christ's wounds. At this point, I could be tempted to go and elaborate on thousands of occasions where God spoke into my life and I listened carefully enough and responded as one of his called ones I recognized who was speaking to me and what he wanted me to do and I did it to his honor and glory and I'm thankful for that if God can use an old country boy like me from town of in Alabama. A guy like John Scanlon sitting up here on the front row with me, a dear friend. A guy like Brian O'Day, John, sitting up here. Guys are involved in these ministry endeavors that we're doing. Jim Saddix, another Alabama boy. If he can use us, he can certainly use you to do what he wants to do in this generation. But instead of rehearsing all those, I'm going to tell you that there are three Key misses that I experienced in my life. One was on the night of 9/11, when one of my former students, Stephen Neehouse, called me on the phone. I had been busy all day, wearing the uniform, doing what I could do to respond in that circumstance. And it was just before I, I want to say about seven or eight o'clock when the president was going to come on TV. And the phone rang. I didn't recognize the number, and Steve said. Dr. Lee, this is Stephen, can I talk to you? I said, Stephen, I said, the president's about to speak and I really want to hear what he has to say. I said, do you mind calling me back about 30 minutes and we'll talk as long as you want to? He said, sure, Dr. Lee, I'll call you back. Hung up the phone. Listened to the president, heard all that was said and 30 minutes on the mark, phone rang again. I picked it up, he said, Dr. Lee, this is Stephen again. I said, hey, Stephen, what's going on? He said, Dr. Lee, I'm in New York City. I was on the platform speaking when the first plane hit the towers. He said, Dr. Lee, I've been overwhelmed by what happened today, and I know you taught me some things in those classes, but my mind is spinning so hard right now, I can't think of all of them, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Can you talk me through what God needs me to do? I know I'm here for a purpose, and there are people all around me that are hurting, and I need to speak the love of Christ into them, but can you First thing I did was apologize to Stephen. I said, Stephen, I'm so sorry. I didn't know where you were. I didn't know what was going on. And to that you were surrounded by that. And to this day, I have never let a phone call go by me like that without first asking what's going on and what do you need. That's the way that God calls ones act. They listen when God calls. And then they act in accordance. A second miss, I know I'm pressing in on your time now, I call it the May Runner. I was driving into Sims, Alabama, made a right turn of the red light and drove down the road about 50 yards. There was a man there, running down the side of the road. I was organizing Memorial Day Flag Relay in Mobile. I do this every year. I've been doing it for a number of years. And as I drove by the man, I looked at him watching him running. He looked kind of like me when he was running, huffing and puffing and getting there. He was He was working hard and God's spirit quickened in me and said why don't you stop and talk to that guy why don't you ask him if he'd like to run in the relay and as i pressed on i looked in the rearview mirror at his face and i said god he don't want to be bothered with me he's running right now he's getting his exercise i said that's not important to him he'll think i'm a crazy man if i pull over to the side of the road he'll think i'm gonna try to hurt him or something it just won't make sense and i'm i'm headed somewhere else uh I think I was going to see my mom or something like that. I went on a hard time schedule, but, you know, I said, I'll, I'll let this one pass. More. Went on about the rest of my day. Got home and watched the news last night or that night. As I come in, my wife said, well, I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to know you're okay. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, well, there was a runner killed in Sims today. I said, what? He said, yeah, a man was running down the road and a car hit him, accident. I went in and started watching the news and sure enough, it was the same man. Within 200 yards of where I had passed him, the next car or the car after that apparently didn't see him and they hit him on the side of the road. Knocked him over in the ditch and he died right there. Every time I still drive past that piece of road, that memory comes back to me. And if some of you would say, hey, that was providential, it was his time, we can explain it a thousand ways. But God taught me a lesson there today, that day, that there are some opportunities that will never come to you again and they can have eternal ramifications. I don't know what that man's eternity was, but had I stopped, and talked to him, started a conversation. I might have had a chance to talk to him about Jesus, and today he might be alive, or I certainly at least might know where he is in eternity. Don't miss like that. The third one I'll say for this afternoon. If you want to come over and visit with us, I'll share that other story. It's a key miss that actually had a, a good turnout, but I won't press it here. I think I've made my point. If you will follow God and respond to his calling as his called ones and do what he tells you to do when he tells you to do it, the world can be changed. He will do his bidding. As I close today, let me say to you that this kind of behavior that I'm calling for will result in much larger outcomes. In verses 9 and verse 25, it's summed up this way. Those who are not a people will become the people of God. Those who had not received mercy will receive God's mercy. And those who were like sheep going astray will now become sheep who have returned or who are returning to the shepherd and the guardian of their souls. So today as God called once, as those who need to act like God called, will you go out and proclaim the excellencies of our Lord so that those who are out there suffering, who are lost, might be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. May God bless you and may his grace always rise to meet you as you pursue those endeavors. Let me ask you to bow with me for a brief word of prayer now as we prepare to conclude our service. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who guides us and comforts us as we seek to live it out. Help us today to show the world that we are your called ones and we know how to behave as such. Empower our being and our doing for your honor and glory. We ask these things now in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.